0: Good morning, Watermark. Today's scripture comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage into people's plot in vain? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly.
1: All right. Thank you. Morning. Everybody good? How was Gasparilla? Christ with you, Christ before you, Christ behind you. I don't have any questions, but you know. Now, all right, I'm glad you're here, though. Um, and uh okay so here's our passage today there's a lot of passages and acts that aren't all that full of like eventful stuff that I can like pull out and be like look at this first century this and this and that there's all there's all kinds of little things like this that are um sort of like they read like Shakespearean monologues right they they're it, it seems out of place. What's going on is that Peter and John are coming back from like a, a trial. They've been in jail for the night. Um, and after spending the night in jail, they stood trial before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin looked at them and they're like, hey, do yourselves a favor and stop talking about Jesus. Move along. So they go back and then they explain everything to the, the Christians who are gathered. And this is the response to the whole thing. So um, it's this really sort of, from our view, it's a little complicated. There's like a whole bunch of like scripture references that are like in your like uh, in your Bible when you open up to this passage. There's all kinds of like little letters that are lit up, and you can when you turn your Bibles on, and you can like and you can like click on them because nobody really uses the paper. If you want a actual Bible book, but they're back there on the thing, um, and 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 you look at it, and there's just like all these references that pop up, and it's a really kind of a confusing passage. So I went like deep dive this week, way into like pull this all out, and so. I'm going to try my best to make this passage very simple for you um, and lay it all out and show you here's what they're doing in the prayer. Here's what it means. And then I'm just going to sort of like offer some thoughts on what, what this means for us. Um, I hope I can communicate this clearly and adequately. Um, and uh, I'm going to pray right now that I can and that we'll all be present together. And then we'll we'll jump into this passage, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, for what you were doing here. Thank you for everyone that you've gathered together. I pray that uh, We would be present, we would be here, that you would fill us, that you would speak to us and uh, um, open our eyes to uh, the experience of these ancient people. They are are in this passage and around this passage going through things that uh, are incredibly difficult and incredibly complicated, require a lot of faith, they're they're incredibly fearful of of what could be coming. Um, And I ask that you would help us to grasp the weight of these passages, not just skim through them. But to get in their mindset, get in their uh in their in their emotions, to mirror these emotions and feel it, and so maybe we can grasp um, what they were going through, and then maybe we can figure out what this means for for us. Is there times where we are experiencing the same thing as them um, and may you speak to us out of that. Thank you for allowing us to gather together for carrying on the tradition for for another week um and another year and uh I pray that we would adequately represent you here as your people that we would listen that we would be present that we'd be thankful that we would understand that the fact that we woke up today is a blessing and a gift the fact that we have food to eat and clothes to wear people to gather with it's all a gift from you help us to respond adequately in your name amen okay so like i said Peter and John stood trial. They show up with the, with the, uh, back where the Christians are gathered. We don't know where they're gathered. It's possible that they gathered back at the um, sort of the, the portico, Solomon's porch, that we've been talking about for a few weeks. It's possible they're there. It's possible that they're somewhere else, some other gathering, some other house. But you can picture about 120 people. Um, we like to picture them for some reason smaller. Beginning of the book says it was at least 120 people. And since then, it says several thousand people have become followers of Jesus as well. So whatever is going on, there is a large gathering of Christians awaiting Peter and John. And Peter and John come back um, and they report and tell them what's been going on. Um, And it starts like this. It It says in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, um, there's a particular weight to this passage. Not this, but what follows. The response that they respond with, um, Because there's an emotion that they're feeling. They, are, they were raised to be a type of people. The Jewish people. They were raised to listen to the scribes. Um, the, the readings of the scribes. Of, of the scriptures. That follow the teachings of the Pharisees. The example of the Sadducees. And sort of honor them. They were raised by this particular tradition. But now they are getting ready to sort of rise up against the old tradition and do something new. And this new thing is terrifying. If you've ever had to sort of approach sort of the people who spiritually raised you in some way and speak to them about something where they have gotten off track on, it is daunting and it's difficult. I know some of you have done that work. Just speaking to those culturally, communally, religiously sort of above you and saying, God is doing this and you are wrong. It's a, it's a heavy burden to bear. They know they will likely be shunned from their synagogue, from their temple, from the, their own people, that they're going to be outcasts eventually. They sort of understand the path laid out before them, but they have to do this work. It's sort of like in this mass, having like being raised in a massive megachurch And your spiritual leader and your elders are there, but then in that church, there's this small movement, a band of people that see corruption, and they're gathering together, and they're going to confront the leaders of of sort of the machine, right? And when you confront it, like I've talked about a few weeks ago, they tend to circle the wagons, and they tend to protect the institution over the people. Um, And so this is what they're up against right now. And so they come back and they tell them everything that happened there in the temple. And there's a response in verse 24. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So um, I, I love actually what goes on here because Luke doesn't, the author Luke, doesn't just tell us that they prayed, it says, and they responded by praying. It tells us what they prayed and it tells us how they prayed it. And I want to dive into that and try to open this all up and try to make it easy for you to understand what they're doing. They're, they're doing a very first-century Jewish prayer here, okay? Um, and you may recognize the style of prayer. Pay attention to what they're doing. Um, and uh, I would ask that you sort of turn on your Bibles if you and I just say it like that now. Just turn on your Bibles. Um, and and uh, and I want you to sort of keep sort of a bookmark there in Acts four, but also I just want you to know we're going to be in Nehemiah nine six. Uh, we're going to be in, I'll repeat these, uh, Nehemiah 9-6. We're going to be in Job forty one eleven, And we're going to be in Isaiah 37-16. I know I'm talking fast now. And we're also eventually going to be in Psalm 2. So like all over the place here because this is what they're doing. So let me repeat those. Nehemiah 9-6, Job forty one eleven. Isaiah 37-16. And then Psalm chapter 2. So, you know, if, if it's too much, just pick one of them. Just hang out there. Um, okay. So they start off. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And here's the first thing that they said. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So we're off to a good start. Our prayers are usually like, dear God, thank you for this day. But they're like, sovereign Lord, creator of heavens and earth and everything in all of them. The sky and the land and the sea and every being that exists everywhere I look. Sovereign Lord. They're, they're like stating who they're talking to. Now, what they're doing here and your notes sort of in your Bible, no matter what version you're using, they're probably going to have the same notes and say the same thing. That They're going to point out that they're referencing um, these three passages, starting with Nehemiah 9.6. It says, you alone are Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, uh, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So that, that's the first reference. There's sort of, this is a very Jewish way of praying. You're going to take a bunch of things and you're going to put them together to make a case, right? Um, Job 41, 11, who has a claim against me that I must pay? This is God talking to Job. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Like, do I owe anyone anything? Does anyone really own anything that is not mine? I own everything. And he says, everything under heaven belongs to me. Pretty straightforward. Uh, And then we get to Isaiah 37, 16. Lord Almighty God of Israel enthroned in heaven, the cherubim, uh, between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So you can see a recurring theme. They have an argument to make. They start off God, you are sovereign. Sovereign means that like you reign over everything. Uh, and then there's an argument for why God is sovereign. Uh, and the argument that they make is you are sovereign because you made it all. That's what makes you in charge of it. If anyone else made it, they'd be in charge of it. But they didn't and you did. So you are in charge. Okay? This is how it starts. Why would they be praying this as a starter prayer? Like why is this the intro to their prayer? Um, because they are going against what everyone would see as the Lord's anointed leaders, the heads of Israel. They're going against the heads of the church. I, when I was a kid, I, uh, I, I was living in Los Angeles in Anaheim, and we, I remember, I was very young, I was maybe eight, and there was a church split in our church. The church literally looked exactly like this. This is what it looked like. There was like one dude who made a lot of money traveling around building these. Um, and... It looked exactly like this, but there was a church split at one point because they hired a new pastor, and it turns out the pastor was a real jerk um, and was terrible to people. And at one point, the people are confronting him. This is all coming back. I didn't tell this in the first service. This is for you. I got more time in the second one. Um, and I remember he stood up on one Sunday, and we had this big pulpit with a giant cross on it, and he bangs on the pulpit. He goes, "He goes, how dare you confront the Lord's anointed? Talking about himself. Um, how dare you stand against the Lord's anointed kind of thing? like. This is how the the priests in the temple would speak. And people were just, I remember people were just leaving. And I'm pretty sure our family ended up leaving as well. Although I think we were moving to Florida. So I don't think it was a big deal. Um, And that's sort of what's going on here. So they, they start off with this prayer. They hear Peter and John come back. All these people are against us, the leaders of our own people, the religious leaders. And their first response is, to start praying about the sovereignty of God whom they have to listen to. No leader equal or, or anywhere near God that all leaders are under because God made the whole thing. And they're sort of applying this to Jesus. Like they're using this language about the creator, about sovereignty to talk about Jesus as if to say, we only follow Jesus. We don't follow any of them. We don't follow these leaders, these elders, these the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the teachers of the law, any of it. We follow Jesus, and that's all. That, that's all. And anyone who, like, if we're following Jesus and we just happen to align with the teachings of some scribe or Pharisee or, or world leader, great. Uh, but the moment the teachings of Christ vary from these, we, we don't even listen to them because we follow Jesus, okay? Um, this is their opening argument. Now, you may recognize this starting to build itself up as, as a collect prayer, what we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, the collect prayer is sort of the most ancient form of Christian prayer. It goes all the way back to the first century, um, and it's sort of a way of praying that calls upon the attributes of God, uh, points to something God did, retells a story to God, sort of like a lawyer making a case, and says, God, I noticed this, and I noticed this, and I noticed this. I have a request, and I'm rooting my request in these facts about you, sort of as, and, and I'm not even joking, this is the way they would think about it, so as a way of like swaying you that this is what you ought to do here. And God's totally okay with this somehow. Like he's perfectly fine with it. And Christians have done this since the very beginning of Christianity. In the last really 150 years or so, this idea of freeform prayer has really taken off. And most evangelical Christians today do, they just close their eyes. There's no plan on where they're going. They just close them and say, dear Lord, uh, thank you. You know what I mean? They're just gonna like. They're going to ready, fire, and then aim the prayer. You know what I mean? But they probably have stuff in the back of their minds that they're going for. But these guys, they're different. They have a request. They heard the story. They have a request. And they're going to root this request in the attributes of God. So God is sovereign. And he's over everything. So that, first off, they don't have to listen to these other people. Right? And then we go to the next part. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Sort of like, remember? Like, you once spoke through David. He said, why do the nations rage? Why do people's plot in vain? The, king, uh, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Second part of the prayer. First part of the prayer, here's your attributes. Second part of the prayer, here's something you once did. I want you to remember that thing that you did that one time where you spoke through the Spirit to David. And they read the passage. And what they're reading is actually Psalm chapter 2. So um, navigate to Psalm chapter 2, if you would. Um, I'm not going to do the whole chapter. I'm going to pick out... Choice cuts of meat and keep moving. Ready? Uh, we start off in, in verse one and two. It says, uh, it says what they just said. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, you will oftentimes see these Christians quoting the Psalms. When they do this, they would be singing them together in unison. Picture if you want to picture 120 people at least, that's fine. You can picture up to a couple thousand people gathering together, praying the Psalms the way the scribes taught them to pray. They wouldn't have just read one little passage. Luke drops that in there so that you know what passage they would have sung. But the Psalms are their liturgy book. That's their prayer book. Every day they would pray a Psalm, a particular Psalm, together in unison. And so this day they settle on Psalm chapter 3. They come back from their meeting with the Sanhedrin and um, and they start off, they're going to go through some of their prayers, and they're going to land on one of the psalms. Last week, we talked about a different psalm. This week, we're in Psalm chapter, chapter, uh, chapter 2. And they're going to pray this together. They would have done the whole thing. But there's a story in every psalm. There's a story behind each one. The story of this, this psalm is, is, is very important to understanding what, what they're doing and why they're praying what they're praying. So Psalm chapter 2, oh, let me get to my notes here. Okay. Okay. Uh, For the people of Israel, this song contained this really long-standing idea that as a sign of the the coming kingdom of God, the the way that they would know that the kingdom of God was coming was that they would find themselves surrounded by enemies banding together to come against them. And when they saw this, they would know. When Israel experienced this, they would know things are about to get real, like, the kingdom of God is about to come. It's about to happen. Like what God has promised us is, is now about to happen. So they're going to quote Psalm 2. It starts off like this. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. We go a little farther here. Uh, let's go down to 4, and, uh, four through 6. Uh, the enthroned one in the heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. Okay, so you have all these people closing in. And, and then you have God, like, laughing. <laughs> like, right? Like, God starts laughing at all these people gathering around. Um, and then it says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So he's like, look at the mountain. right? There. Everyone's gathering. Look at the mountain. I have already installed my king. He's sitting right right there, left, right there. He's sitting right there. He's already in charge. I'm sorry you've come all this way. We've already got this settled. Okay. And then it goes a little farther. And he says, he speaks to the king, whom they call the son in this passage, and he says, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So he talks to the son, and then the the, the king he installed, and then he turns to the people, uh, the kings who have gathered to wage war, and he says this to them. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. He's like, I just want you to know, be very careful now. Uh, you see, I've installed my, my king already. Um, just be wise in how you act because he's in charge of everything. And if you want to remain king of anything, if you want to remain even influential, pay attention. Um, so this is what Psalm 2 is about. Why would they be praying this psalm? Great question. Uh, thank you for that. Um, The reason they're praying this psalm is because they are experiencing this now. Remember, Jesus is the prototype, the archetype of Israel. Jesus is a stand-in for Israel. Everything Israel experienced, Jesus experienced, Jesus, all of Israel's life and history is wrapped up in Jesus. And when Jesus stood before um, his trial, he stood before Pilate. He once stood before Herod. He stood before the Sanhedrin. And so we have Gentiles. We have, we have the half-Jewish king, King Herod. We have all the religious leaders. He's standing before them. All these people have banded together to go against Israel. Okay, And this is where the prayer is going. You can see it in verse 27 and 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So, we've come this far in the prayer. It starts over here with... Um, they think they're in charge of us and can tell us what to say. Uh, We understand you're sovereign. You made everything, which makes you sovereign. Remember that time you spoke through David and you said that one day all these people gathered together against Israel. That has happened with Jesus and it is happening now against us. Now that they've made sort of their three-part case so far, now here comes their request. They follow it up with a request rooted in the text so that God can't say no right? (laughs) This is how people talk to God. Okay. Um, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Remember, boldness. Last week, uh, we talked about, it doesn't mean just like standing up and like just being bold. It it literally means talk to people who are way higher than you as equals. Okay. Um, Stretch out your hand uh, to heal and perform signs and wonders throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're saying, that thing you did where you healed that guy, and everyone saw it, and then we were able to preach our message, I want you to do more of that stuff. He's talking to the Spirit of Christ, Jesus. Stay with us, do more of that. The things that you were doing when you were here, we are now doing. Stay with us and allow us to do it. But he also says, um, they also pray together, consider their threats, hear them, be aware of what's happening to us, be present with us, enable your servant to speak your word, with great boldness. Your servant is what they they would always call Israel. And then Jesus was God's servant. And now the church is God's servant, the body of Christ. Um, And so they're speaking out as a sort of reconstructed Israel and saying, um, the things that Jesus did do through us now. Speak through us. Uh, um, Speak your word with great boldness. Now, um, this is sort of the crux of the whole sort of argument. They dive into the scriptures to remind each other and God, it appears, that there's no one above God, that he's sovereign um, and because he created everything, uh, that he is in charge and they will follow him, not the leaders of Israel. And then um, they remind God, um, stay with us, keep doing your work, and allow us to be faithful. And then there is this response that they get from God, which is really interesting. And it says, after they played, the the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I'm going to hang out right here today. It's where it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But, but imagine this. They, they made this argument from beginning to end, and they finished their argument, and they're awaiting. And according to Luke, the place is shaken. The, the whole, whatever this means. Is it the people? Is it the place? Is it the structure? Is it an earthquake? Like What's going on? Is there like a thundering? Bill? We don't know. We're not given many details. Um, but the early Christians, the church fathers and the desert mothers, wrote about these ideas a lot. That this was a time when the people needed to hear something from God because they were about to set off on something that was dangerous and terrifying. And they were about to overturn the people who raised them and go against their teachings. And they needed some sort of support. They needed to know that they were doing the right thing. Because we've all been there where we go to say something and you're like, I, I feel like I'm right, but I really hope I'm right. I hope I'm not misinterpreting this thing. Okay, and so it says the place was shaken. Now we have the writings of early church fathers like John Chrysostom, and he says he says since it was uh, since it was the beginning of their ministry and they had they had prayed for a sensible sign for their persuasion, and then he says this never happens again afterwards. Great was the encouragement they received. The place was shaken, and that made them all the more unshaken. So like it was sort of this nod, right? That like he's like, you're right, I'm with you. Let's keep going. And if you move forward, I'll move forward. And there's this constant back and forth in the, ancient, in the, in the, in the, in the first century with, with the writings of, of the early Christians where they're like, where they're constantly reminding like, we're not going to go unless you go with us. And then God says, if you keep going, I'll go with you. And so they're like, okay. And there's this trepidatiousness. And then there's sometimes where you see them praying and they're like, they sort of, they stand up and they say, um, it seems right to the spirit. That we do this, so there is this sense of like we're pretty sure, right? Like it seems right to the spirit that we're going to do this, and so we have faith that this is what God is doing, and so we're going to keep going in this direction. It aligns with the teachings of Christ. It aligns with sort of what we're seeing. So they do it now. There's this passage there though that says, "And they were all filled with the Spirit." Um, to get let me let me um, read that text one more time. Here, back this up um, a little farther. It says. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were able to do these things. They were able to be filled with the Spirit. So that's what I want to talk about, the, this idea. We're going to hang out right here, this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Because um, I know we have oftentimes, um, we have we have a wide range of, of people who gather here. But some of you who are more sort of progressive theology-wise, you have a harder time with whenever anyone talks about like things like the Spirit. You're maybe uncomfortable with uh, spiritual sort of activity, things have to make sort of tangible sense and and people get uncomfortable with the idea of being filled with the spirit. And there's others of us like like myself who were raised like Southern Baptists, like we found the, the only Southern Baptist church in Los Angeles. Um, wasn't big. Uh, and and so there's this idea that we see out there where everyone talks about being all these other denominations. It didn't make any sense the Southern Baptists. Um, and <clears throat> they they talk about being filled with the Spirit, and when they talk about being filled, sort of filled with the Spirit, there's always this thing that accompanies it. There's always sort of this sign or this wonder or something shaking or um, people are speaking in tongues. And, and, and I would argue that like, this is one of the most accidentally misleading phrases for modern Christians, Just the idea of, of being, being filled with the Spirit. We oftentimes read this and we become really disheartened because we, we wonder why... This doesn't happen to us personally. We hear about it happening, maybe see it on TV, or hear about it on a, on a podcast, or like someone tells about it, or you read about it in the Bible. And oftentimes, our fears of like, well, I've never experienced any of that. I've never like miraculously like spoken in tongues. I've never been like healed. I've never seen a vision. I've never had this big emotional experience. Um, and there's like, and people talk about the filling of the Spirit as if it is necessarily a an ecstatic experience. And if you didn't have the ecstatic experience, you've never been filled with the Spirit. Uh, and it gets disheartening because those who are more geared towards sort of um, uh, uh, sort of more of a, an intellectual faith that is less emotional, um, they feel disconnected from the text entirely. They feel disconnected from the experience, from the idea of the Spirit. And they, they tend to pull away. Um, And so we tend to think that if somebody's filled with the Spirit, they must have been empty of the Spirit as well, which means God wasn't with them. And maybe we start to feel that way that like, oh, I'm actually empty of the Spirit because I've never experienced that or that or that or that. And all these people are giving you all this information. So I kind of want to talk about this a little bit today. Um, The thing that we forget is that the primary role of the Spirit um, is laid out for us in the Scriptures and it's taught by people like John. Um, Let me look at a text right here for you. This is not the only one. There's there's many others. I'm going to... Talk about this and then keep going, so we can sort of open it up a little bit. He says, "He says the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, uh, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid." What you see is, uh, especially with the apostles, when they are like performing these miracles and stuff, when they're doing this interesting stuff, they're always calling upon the name of Jesus. Um, and they're, they're calling for the presence of, uh, of Christ, Christ Jesus, to be on them to do these things because these are the same things that Jesus was doing when he was here. And then... You read about the work of the Spirit, and John tells us that the Spirit's role is to comfort the disciples in times of trouble and to remind them of the teachings of Christ. And so there are these roles that seem to be assigned, that seem to work, and, um, and so the filling of the Spirit for them, their first big real opposition, again, was going against the people that spiritually raised them. They're being asked to push back against the people that raised them, and they're being asked to confront the generation that came before them and point out where they've gotten off the rails. And this is terrifying. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And They needed the work of the Spirit. They needed to be encouraged. They needed to be able to speak boldly to these leaders as equals, as like co heirs with them. They needed to be able to speak the teachings, to remember the teachings, the things that God had taught them so they're not swayed and and passed off. Because it's very easy, in light of all kinds of teaching, to forget the actual way that Christ taught us to be. Um, And so oftentimes we make this mistake of thinking that the Spirit is like us, that it's needy for recognition, it's needy for attention. And so whenever the spirit shows up, he's like, I'm here. Let's let him know I'm here. Uh, tongues and healing. And, this, and, and like, awaken everybody up. To like, I'm here. I hope you notice that I'm here. I, if I wasn't, like, if none of this was happening, I'm not here. But when I show up, stuff happens. And <clears throat> that tends to be how we think. We need this sort of attention, this recognition. But most theologians throughout, and, and biblical scholars throughout church history have agreed that the spirit is actually, seems to be, the Holy Spirit seems to be the shy member of, of what would they would call the Godhead. Like, the shy one. Um, that he 's always pointing in other directions, always saying like, remember what Jesus said. remember this: um, be encouraged so that you can keep serving the father, um, and there 's always supposed to be this sort of like pushing off of himself, and so oftentimes um, it's we assume that if the spirit is doing its work, then then they 'll let us know by doing something. Uh, Amazing or jaw-dropping, healing a tongue of prophecy about the future, but the Spirit would never be present, we think, unless He does something great. Um, And I would argue that what we actually see in these passages is very different. We see a calmness that the Spirit is present and fills them in times of sorrow, in times of fear, in times of need. Um, Things that align, that seem to align with what John is talking about when he quotes the words of Jesus. I would argue that you follower of Jesus, um, have likely been filled with the Spirit over and over and over, unknowingly. The presence of God has been with you, filling you and encouraging you. And here, the Spirit is descending upon them as they pray, sort of even guiding their prayers, bringing to mind um, the songs and the the psalms, if you will. Um, But notice their prayers. They're not. Their prayers are not centered on the same things that we center our prayers on. Their prayers are not. I have an enemy. Um, destroy this enemy, or like knock them out of the way, or um, I pray that terrible things would befall them and they would just fall and we'd just be able to walk through, or I pray that they would become like us, or I pray that they would change their mind. Their prayers are not outward focused. Their prayers are for themselves. The act of prayer for the early church was never about demanding that God and even asking God to align with our desires. It was always, it was always centered on aligning ourselves with what God is doing and asking that God would help us take part in it. It has always been prayer for the early Christians was always, um, how do I align myself with the heart of God, with the mind of God? How do I, how do I actually pull my own will out of this thing and put on joyfully the, the future that God is building? How do I follow Christ through these incredibly difficult times? Most of our prayers, like 95% of them, tend to be, um, Lord, give me this, give me that, do this, do that. Um, once in a while, we'll throw in a thank you for this or that, usually when it's like a, a good meal. Um, and <clears throat> but by and large, the average modern evangelical Christian spends very little time actually pondering what, what the Spirit of God is doing in the world. And aligning themselves with it. This is why they're, they're reading the scriptures back to God. Not just so that they can point out the, the way God has been. But also reminding themselves that this is how they should be as well. That they should remember the center of it all is not them. And they didn't pray anything against these people. They said rather quite simply, Lord, I want you to see what they're doing. I want you to see them gathering against us. And I want you to allow us to be faithful and speak boldly. This idea that like they want to be seen is one of the like the primary things in scriptures. There are people all throughout the scriptures from beginning to end saying, look upon me, look at me, look at me. Um, If you want to stop injustice in the world, one one of the first steps to fixing any of it is noticing. Is letting people know, not just noticing it yourself, but telling them, I see what's happening. I see it. And I think it's wrong. I don't want you to know I think you have suffered injustice um, and if I were in your situation I would feel the same way you do I would probably feel the anger and I would feel the frustration you cannot take any steps towards healing anybody or freeing anybody until you openly recognize the injustice out loud to yourself and to them Oftentimes, people who are suffering, people who are in poverty, people who are in very difficult times, they feel unseen. They feel nobody. Like homeless people, they they tend to just feel like everyone, nobody will even look at us. Nobody will will even acknowledge that I am present here walking down this street in a crowded street full of people. It's like I'm invisible and nobody even sees the situation that I have found myself in. But what happens when when you affirm with somebody like, I see you? the way God does with us, and the way they're asking God to do, do you see us? Do you see what's happening? Tell us that you see it. And God's like, yes, I see it. Until somebody admits that they see what's, what's happening to you, that it's an injustice, that it's not right, that it never should have happened, and that you're right to feel the way, you, the way that you do. Until that happens, typically there is no way to move forward in healing. By the way, this is true of raising children. This is true of having a healthy marriage, the simple words, the simple words, I saw that, that must be really hard, are like a healing, a wound. The fact that somebody else is there with you. And this is what they're asking of God, and this is what God is pouring out upon them. And they're praying that their own response to what is happening, that God would see them and give them the response that they should have. They're praying for for more than anything, Christ likeness. And God nods in agreement. Here's the thing. You may not feel like you've ever had this experience where you've been filled with the Spirit. But I imagine, I imagine even if you've never experienced anything ecstatic in your life, like me, I'm with you. I imagine there are times where you have just felt this overwhelming peace and calmness in the midst of incredibly terrible times. That there has been a moment where you've just taken a deep breath and you've settled down and you've said, and we're going to move forward and God, I'm going to keep following you. Um, that is the filling of the Spirit. That is the work the Spirit has done. For those of you who feel discouraged, I've never, I've just never felt this and my life has always been this. The disciples were filled with the spirit and they were encouraged and they were reminded of the words of Jesus and they were reminded to be faithful. That was the, that is what the spirit did to them here in this moment. Um, <clears throat> maybe you've been on some journey where you've deconstructed a lot and then one day something is given back and you are filled again. There was a, there was a, a guy who, who came here. Um, he had been agnostic for many years and, uh, Lost his faith. Grew up um, Southern Baptist. Went to Bible college and everything. And, and he lost, totally lost his faith. And he shows up here. His brother dragged him, drug him to church. Um, and he sat with us and listened for about a year and a half. And I would have these conversations with him at the beginning. And he's just like, yeah, I don't. I think it's fascinating. I love hearing the stories. And I'm just trying to get whatever moral things I can out of it. And I appreciate your work. And it's nice. It's super, super nice. And then, like, about a year and a half later, I, I talk to him. And I say, so what's going on what do you at this point what do you what do you think of jesus and he says okay look i hate christianity i just hate the whole thing but when people talk about jesus there's something there and i feel something and it awakens something like he's like i don't know i don't know why and i don't know how and i don't know what it means but i believe jesus was right and i believe jesus is probably the way forward and I was like, so you're saying you've been filled with the Spirit here and there? He's like, oh, no, I don't believe any of that. I'm like, you know, yeah, I, I don't think you do. I'm telling you. Like, the Spirit is present and working and dragging you forward towards your sanctification. Like, that's, and we're all crawling towards this thing together. And there are moments when there's this sense of calm where, like, this is necessary. God is doing something. This means something. When this this thing, whatever, that that." Someone in your life, this terrible sin is exposed, and there's this great falling, and and there's this moment at the bottom where you're like, Well, this is the part. And the spirit fills you, and you're encouraged, and you're like, I think this is it. This is what God is doing. God is taking it all apart for them. And there's and there's other times where someone comes to you and they bring something to you, and it's it's very difficult and it's very complicated, and you don't have the words, but suddenly you you do have the words and you speak these words of wisdom out of nowhere that you don't even possess and something clicks and healing comes, instantly it appears for them because the Spirit has filled you and you had these words. All of this belongs in this camp. I don't want you to be discouraged and think that like, no, there's some big miraculous thing that has to, no, no, like, the all-knowing wisdom of the universe is present with you, speaking to you, guiding you. That is intervention. I know, I know a lot of Christians that don't believe that God really intervenes in the world in this way or that way, and I ask them, like, if 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 somebody, if somebody, if my children are playing and I, and I speak into the ears of my children, I think you should do this, I think you should do that, I think you should go this way and do this thing. I'm intervening through them. I am present in the world and I am acting. I'm speaking. Um, perhaps there's times where if you've ever experienced this, when like everybody just seems to be freaking out about something and and, and nobody's calm and there's this general sense of fear and, and sort of panic and they're responding with fear. And they're responding with, well, what are we going to do? And they're responding with these carnal fleshly things. Um, well, we're going to kill them. We're going to grab our guns. We're going to do this. We're going to We're going to do this and this and this. And we're going to show them who's boss. And we're going to teach them a lesson there. How dare they? And everyone is like using this enemy offensive stance language, sort of militaristic ideals like language. And then you stand up and you you seem to just be immovable and resolute in Christlikeness. And you say, well, don't forget there are. They are the image of God. They are the children of God and they bear every much, as much of the image of God as you and I do. And so we should do everything that we can to show them the love of God. And it's sort of like you've just thrown water on a fire and the spirit has just poured out of you into the world. I remember there was this, uh, there's this story where Shane Claiborne, Christian um, author and activist, he, uh, he, he's, he practices a life of complete nonviolence and he was walking through, he lives in the inner city, he was walking through Philadelphia one night um, and these men came out of the alley where he was walking with it was exactly sort of like you would picture as he tells the story men came out of the alley with like guns and knives and, and demand give us everything you have and he says he felt this he felt this calmness he felt the presence of God come over him and he, and he looks every one of them in the eye and he's terrified and then suddenly he's calm and he sits down on the ground and he starts quoting the Sermon on the Mount Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, and he just, everything he has in him, he starts quoting that. And he says, everything changed. And those men sort of stopped, and they looked at him, and they looked at each other. And they just sort of turned around, and they just wandered off. Um, and he would see them here and there, individually. And there was this different way that they would look at him, and they would look at each other. Because the spirit of God is, is with you waiting for you to sort of allow yourself to be filled, allow yourself to live in the presence of Christ and allow yourself to be the representative that you were called to be and stand in the presence of the world as a representation of Christ. And it's not hard oftentimes to figure out what is of Christ and what is not of Christ. One of the practices that I constantly have is when I hear religious leaders saying things that, that I feel are antithetical to the kingdom of God, I oftentimes will imagine Jesus saying these things. And you can just see it. It's not right. The Spirit's not in that. That is religious leaders like the Sadducees speaking from their flesh. And if you can't ever picture Jesus saying it, it is not of God. Allow the Spirit to guide you, allow the Spirit to be present in you. Stop begging for some kind of huge thing. If it happens, it happens. But that is not how God has demanded that he will work in this world. We are the hands and feet of God. God is working through us. I want to call our, our, our communion servers. You guys can go take the elements and spread around the room if, you'd, uh, if you feel led, <laughs> which is, I'm leading you. Um, and, uh, and why don't we take a couple minutes in communion? Did I, yeah, it went a little long. That's okay. Um, and why don't we just ponder maybe ask God to bring to mind maybe a few of these moments in your life where the Spirit of God was present. And why don't we remind ourselves Christ is with us, Christ before us, Christ is behind us. Everywhere we go, God is with us, guiding us, leading us forward. Allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, however that looks, whatever that looks like for you. And I hope, I mean, my goal for you is that you would would begin to wake up every day and sort of equip yourself with the things of God, whatever you're going into. I need, maybe there's these days where you're you're going into a difficult situation, and you need to be the presence of Jesus there and remind people of the words of Jesus, of what Jesus was like. And so you, you awaken and you pray, Father, I need the presence of Jesus with me. I need Christ with me because I'm going to have to remind people who's king today. Uh, and there's other times where you need wisdom, and you need to bring some new life into some things, and you're going to ask for the Spirit of God to be present with you. And there's other times where you just need to speak prophetically and, and tell the people some truth and, and remind them... Um, where all of this comes from, where every good and perfect thing that, that we have comes from and ask for the presence of the Father. Live in this way. Take part in who God is. Let it manifest in your own life. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for everything you're doing here. I pray that we would see you, begin to see you in everything. Thank you for the bread and the wine. Thank you for, for the sacred meal. I, I understand it's just wine. It's just bread. It, but right now, it is your body and your blood. We want to see Christ in the common. We want to see you in this so that we begin to see you in everything else, in, in the conversations we're having, in the, uh, the financial trials, in the successes, in the screaming children, in all of it. Allow us to find ourselves filled with, with your spirit, And living from a different place, not a place of the flesh like we we so much want to. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in your name. Amen. If you need prayer, there will be somebody right in the back. Prayer room back there out these doors to your right to pray with you. I want to invite you, whoever you are, come take communion with us now.